Hello everyone, welcome back to Blood Talk. Um, today we're going to be going over a course, what I think, why I think Doctor Who is failing at the moment, or at least, you know, the past four years, and what I think they could do to make it better, because I do believe it can definitely be made better. Um, I've got no real structure for this really, I'm just going to, I never really do though, do I? Um, so I'm just going to go... And I suppose just go off on a tangent, talking about what I personally believe can be used to change up the series and why it hasn't been working so far. So first off, I'm going to talk about arguably the greatest point of them all, and that is the Doctor herself. Thing is, right, with some of my least favourite Doctors, I still really like them, because... Even if the story's bad, and even if the way the character is taken is bad, I still enjoy them, because I think they have the personality and the acting skills sometimes to carry the stories and carry their character. Like, for example, Whit well, Whitaker's my least favourite Doctor, but my second least favourite Doctor is Colin Baker. But that's not to say that I dislike him at all. In fact, I really, really like him, and I think he's arguably one of the best actors, like, in terms of acting ability to play the Doctor. And although I don't like the way his character was written and taken, and, and a lot of his stories are pretty bad, I think he himself really shines, and he's a really good actor, and I enjoy his stories. Um, the thing is, right... All the other Doctors aside Whitaker have like a defining feature about them. Uh, so I suppose for Hartnell's Doctor you could say it's the fact that he was like a grumpy grandpa. But then later on he, he it showed he cared. Uh, the second Doctor was a clown who could turn into a snake. The third Doctor was like the James Bond of Doctor Who. The fourth one was, well, like, yeah, he was just a goofball the whole time and a clown and he was also very intelligent though and very uh techno babbly um but he he was the doctor who started to have moments of seriousness sometimes the fifth doctor was nice perhaps too nice at times uh just a very charming fella the sixth doctor was like the first doctor very arrogant um a lot of the time and maybe too arrogant seventh doctor was in similar vein to the second doctor very clownish but he had his own twist on it because he could turn very manipulative at times the eighth doctor was uh charming but very serious when he had to be the war doctor was i mean he was just serious the whole way through he was a survivor of a long war and he was tired of it all the Ninth Doctor was uh, a veteran soldier. The Tenth Doctor was a hopeless romantic. The Eleventh Doctor was um, the fairy tale character, the you know the more of a myth, more of a legend. The Twelfth Doctor was very similar to the First Doctor in how at first he was very arrogant, then later on became really kind and heartwarming. But his arc was done even better than the First Doctor. Whereas with Jodie Whittaker, I know that was like two minutes of rambling on about the best defining features of each Doctor. But Jodie Whittaker, what can you really say defines her Doctor? That's my point I'm trying to make. Like, yeah, I know some of the Doctors did uh, copy some of the other ones. For example, uh, Capaldi is kind of copying Hartnell in the fact that he was grumpy at first but then became caring later on. But the thing is, the difference is, is that Capaldi did it better like, even if you prefer Hartnell as the Doctor to Capaldi, that's fair enough. But you can't deny that Capaldi's Doctor's arc was written much better than Hartnell's. And that's the thing, because either each Doctor is really unique in their own way, or that they've uh, taken a spin on the formula of another one, but they've done it better. It's been done... Like, it's been looked into more, it's been... You know, just done just done better, I suppose. I don't know what else to say other than that. Whereas, yeah, Whitaker herself, what can you really say? I mean, 
thing is at the time of filming when filming had just wrapped in fact for series 11 i was hearing uh mandip gill and tosin cole talking about whitaker saying that she's like a cross between tenant and smith and that got me really hyped for the series because tenant and smith are my two favorite doctors ever so I was really hyped when I heard that. But when I actually saw the series itself, I thought, yeah, she really is. But that's a bad thing. It made me realise it's a bad thing. Whitaker feels so much like she's trying to copy Tennant and Smith because she knows they're the two most popular ones, at least by today's standards. And it ruins it because she could have been so much better and so much different because Tennant and Smith were playing themselves if you know what i mean i mean there's that great interview with tom baker in 1974 maybe when he's talking about his experience of playing the doctor saying how it's better than all of his other roles because he's just playing himself he's not playing a character he's being himself the role just falls into his lap i think he said and that's that's the definition of the role of the doctor you shouldn't really be playing a character i mean for a lot of them, you shouldn't even really be acting. I mean, yeah, there's a few moments that each Doctor will have of acting, and there's a lot of Doctors that need more acting than other ones. But really, for especially like Tennant, for Smith, for Troughton, for Tom, for for even McCoy for a lot of his series, they don't really need to act because it's them playing themselves. They're allowing their goofy personalities to be shown on screen. Of course, yeah, once again, they had the moments, but most of the time it's that. Whitaker's kind of the opposite, though, because she definitely excels more with the serious stuff. But her own personality is just carbon copy of Smith and Tennant, and it doesn't work. It doesn't feel natural because she just it comes off as cringy, I suppose. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to explain it, but... You don't get the same vibes, and I know it's not just me saying that, but you don't get the same vibes watching Whitaker goof about than watching, say, Tennant goof about, because she feels like she's putting an act on, whereas Tennant and Smith felt like it was, like, coming from the heart, if you know what I mean. Um, and that's that's what made them special, if you know what I mean. And once again, yeah, Tennant especially had moments of acting. I mean... Tennant is my favourite actor of all time, and he's arguably one of the best actors of all time. And his moments of acting in Doctor Who were so good, such as the end of Waters of Mars, or in the end of time, or when he lost Rose, you know, moments like that he excels in. But he also excels with his own personality. The problem with Whitaker is that she doesn't have that kind of personality if Whitaker was playing herself in Doctor Who I don't know what we'd be seeing I mean mainly because I don't know her as a person but I I could see David Tennant in Comic-Con or whatever and he'll be the same man as the Doctor because that's his personality whereas with Whitaker I don't know how she'd be like you know what to expect when you see these people whereas you don't with Whitaker and I know that some people will say to me, well, what about Eccleston? Because he was acting a lot in the role of the Doctor. He obviously wasn't playing himself. Yeah, of course, but that was his own decision to be more serious in the role. But he was consistently very serious. Whereas Whitaker is a lot of the time putting this act on of being so goofy. But this, this just, right, best way of putting it, there's a big difference between acting really goofy all the time and acting really serious all the time. Eccleston was great at acting all serious, and that's why he's so popular. Whitaker's horrible at acting goofy. It just comes off as too cringy, so that's why it doesn't work. Um, of course, Whitaker in series twelve, though, uh, she did have a few moments where they obviously tried to incorporate more emotional things into a Doctor, but. Even then, like, they don't save her that much. They do a little bit, I'll give her that, but not that much. And she still feels very one-dimensional to me, uh, honestly. I can't really think of a more one-dimensional Doctor than Whitaker. Because, yeah, I know I've said that there's Doctors who have consistently played the same character. 
but they've had the moments of being someone different. So they're not one dimension. Even John Hurt. Like, John Hurt had less than an hour of screen time. Yet he has so much more character than Whitaker, who's had two full seasons. That's because you see him at first and he's just this tired out veteran. He doesn't want anything to do with anyone anymore. But then at the end of the story, he realizes that he needs to be better and he can be better and he will be better. And in that in that way, he had an arc. And Whitaker's not had like anything like that. She's not felt more than one-dimensional. Even with her moments of anger, they didn't really have any kind of payoff. And because of that, it really hinders a character. And that's what I meant when I said that it helps her, but not a, a lot. Because, meaning that if there was like a 13th Doctor best moments compilation thing, those moments would obviously be in it and be the best moments. However, in... In terms of the actual story itself overall, it really doesn't help. In fact, if anything, it hinders because there's no payoff to it. Um, like a perfect example of this is, uh, you know, the what's it called, the Haunting of Villa Diadetti. That's a really good story, especially for Whitaker's standards. That's a really good story. Um, and there's that moment where she shouts at her fam. As <laughs> we'll get into them later, um, because. I think, <coughs> excuse me, I think the reason she shouted at them was because she had to make a, a bad decision. This is one of my favourite Whitaker moments and I can't even remember remember it and that kind of says a lot. Um, but I just remember her being angry at them. Problem is, I definitely don't remember this being like cropping up later and there wasn't any consequences of her being mad. Like once she had this outburst, the characters were like taken aback and that was it. Nothing else happened. just not realistic in that way and yeah Doctor Who's not realistic but it's got that level of groundedness that helps you to relate to these characters for example like when Tennant had his outburst in the waters of Mars when he was playing God Adelaide Brooke killed herself and that was the consequence of him being angry you know in the end of time when he he had that whole uh, cry about regeneration and stuff that gives us information about regeneration and, you know, puts us into the Doctor's shoes, you know. And they attempted that, of course, with Whitaker saying, this is a decision I've got to make, whatever, you know. Uh, it's hard to make decisions, the right decisions, I think that's what she was saying. But if I am right and that's what she said, uh, then Eccleston did that way better 15 years ago. Um, of of course, like, yeah, I can't really comment too much on the context of her outburst there because I don't remember it. But doesn't that say a lot right there? The fact that Doctor Who I'm obsessed with, it's my favourite show and I can't even remember her best moment or arguably her best moment or one of them. Um, yeah, um, my point is whenever any of the other Doctors get mad or have another dimension shown, like another emotion shown, another way the character's taken, they they always have some kind of payoff. Like, another example, in Gridlock, uh, which is a very underrated story in my opinion, Martha um, asks the Doctor if they can go to Gallifrey, and the Doctor's of course like, oh yeah, no, it exists, but we can't go. And then at the end of the story, the Doctor has a whole chat about Martha because Martha works out that it's gone and stuff and the Doctor explains to her what happened and, and all of that. Like, there's payoffs to all of this. If this was in Whitaker's era, if that same idea was in Whitaker's era, it'd be as simple as, like, Whitaker's, Whitaker's Doctor being, you know, the same with, as Tennant at first. She'd be like, oh, yeah, no, we we can't go there, but it does exist. And then the fam would be confused by that and question it, but then nothing else would happen about it. And if miraculously it did, if something did come up and they did ask, like, if it doesn't exist, the doctor would just say, oh, yeah, it doesn't. And they'd be like, oh, OK, that'd be it. Um, Yeah. So the main problem with this version of the doctor is she's, very one-dimensional, just very carbon copy of Tennant and Smith. 
and being one-dimensional just means you can't relate in any way to this doctor which ruins part of the charm of the show so yeah but the being one-dimensional is obviously also the main problem with the fam which we'll get onto now now if i was to rank the members of the fam bradley walsh as um graham would definitely be number one um number two maybe yasmin khan and then number three would be ryan i don't know last two are inter interweaved kind of but every single one of these characters is so one-dimensional and the reason i've been able to say that i much prefer bradley walsh to the other two is because at least his one dimension is comic relief and he's really entertaining uh but he's still one dimensional like I know people will tell me that, oh, you know, they had the whole thing with Grace, uh, Ryan's uh, grandma and um, Graham's wife. Yeah, there was that, but that wasn't taken very far. I mean, there was the funeral in The Woman Who Fell to Earth and Ryan expressed being upset about it, but that was it. The, they didn't go anywhere. He just said he was upset. He didn't go anywhere after that, though. And then in, it takes you away. It does... In fact, it does impact on Graham a little bit, so I'll give I'll give him that actually. Like maybe Graham Graham's definitely the character of these three with actual maybe character. Even then, I don't even know if I'd fully say Graham's Graham's given enough dimension to be considered more than just one dimensional, but he definitely has more moments. If you know what I mean. Uh then of course there's Yaz who like the whole point of Yaz's character is that she wants to do more but she never like she never reaches her potential and that should have been the whole point and you know what maybe you know what? I'm not gonna comment on Yaz that much because she's got another season of the show at least another season so I'm gonna probably talk more about her when that when the season actually finally comes out um because it'll probably wrap up her arc so maybe my opinions on her will change drastically actually um so i'll leave that for now but what i will say in the meantime is that she is like graham like ryan very one-dimensional then ryan he's the most one-dimensional out of all of these like they got off to a pretty good start with his dyspraxia and stuff but he didn't go anywhere like they tried to have an arc, like they set it up, and they kind of had a payoff, but they had nothing in between. You can't just say, oh, he had dyspraxia at first, and now he has learned to cope with it, and he's better with it. You can't do that, because you don't see him go on that journey. The best example of character development for any character, in my opinion, is probably Walter White in Breaking Bad. And the whole point of that series is watching a, a very nice man who's empathetic and uh, uh, outgoing and kind turn into exactly the opposite of that. And throughout these f five seasons of the show, you just watch him slowly turn and fall into that person. It's the same with like The Shining, Jack Torrance at first, similar man, and eventually he just went insane. Uh, or even even in Doctor Who itself, Donna Noble. At first she was very feisty and not, not very caring of people and uh, boring and stuff and just shouty about the smallest of things. But then at the end of the her arc, she was kind, she was loyal, she was sensitive. And yeah, like, <laughs> you can't say that for Ryan though. Like, it's like with Donna, right? She was feisty, let's just put it this way, because I'm presuming you've seen Doctor Who if you've clicked on this. Let's say you see Donna in The Runaway Bride, and she was very, very uh, feisty and stuff, as she was. And then she remained that way for the rest of Series 4, until the very last episode, where she became kind. It wouldn't work. Instead, what Russell did, because he's such a clever writer... He added moments for Donna, moments for her to really shine and have more dimensions to her character, to explore how good Catherine Tate is as an actor, and to explore the potential of the character of Donna Noble. Like, she didn't just immediately grow a sense of empathy for people. Instead, 
you watch her get that sense. I mean, look at the Ude planet where she sees the Uda captive and stuff and she knows it's wrong and she wants to help. But that doesn't come out of nowhere. That comes out of feeling bad for them. And it wouldn't, it just doesn't work in the same way for Ryan. He just, first he has dyspraxia and then he doesn't. He doesn't have any moments where in the series where they comment on it. He just does it at the start and at the end. There's no in between. So you don't see him go on a journey. So he's very one dimensional and his character simply doesn't work. As I say about the fam, the best of the three is Graham, just by far, but they're all one-dimensional. The only reason that Graham's the best of the three is because he's funny and entertaining, but that's probably because he's played by Bradley Walsh. And I know some people will be saying, well, what about Nardal? Nardal was not one-dimensional, and he was comic relief. Yeah, I know, and that's why Nardal worked. You know, Nardal was funny most of the time, but he had moments of seriousness, like Wilfred Mott. Wilfred Mott, he was just there for comic relief most of the time, but he had some very serious moments. Bradley Walsh as Graham, whenever he's tried to be serious, like that time when he was saying he was, to the Doctor he was worried about the cancer coming back, the Doctor just completely cut him off. So there's no emotional payoff to it all. There's no emotional payoff to his character, to Ryan's, or to Yaz's. So they're just a trio of very one-dimensional people. And two-thirds of them are very, very boring and unentertaining. I suppose Yaz has the potential to get better. I mean, she's got a whole other season of the show. Um, but, you know, we've just got to hope that she will. Because I don't fancy another season of the same cardboard cutout of a person that she appears to be. Uh, so now that we're done the main characters let's talk about the villains um you know what i'll give them this most of the villains have really inventive and creative designs um the ones from demon of demons of the punjab and um you know what the redesign of the daleks are quite like and uh, i i didn't even mind the flipping mohawk on the jadoon however the villains that chibnall himself created are very very forgettable because uh, that's the thing, like when I was talking about the villains from the demons of the Punjab, I just referred to them as being the demons from the, the villains from the demons of the Punjab. Uh, I can't remember the names, I can't remember anything about them, I just remember them being like thought to be villains, but then at the end it was shown that they were just spectators of horrible events or something. Um, which is quite a nice concept actually, it's a good way of uh, subverting expectations. And that's probably why, partly why Demons of the Punjab's one of the better ones in Series 11. Um, however, I still can't remember the names. Like, even some of the more forgettable Russell villains, I can remember. Like, Isolus. I can remember the creature from Fear. I can remember the name of the creature from Fear. And I can even remember the name of the girl that Isolus took over. She was called Chloe. And that's saying a lot, because that episode is really forgettable, I think, and really quite bad. Um, but yeah, like I say, I'll give Chibnall this. The designs of his creatures were very good, and even quite interesting. Um, however, they're just very forgettable. I can't really comment on them that much because of how forgettable they are. Um, I don't think Tim Shaw was all that bad. A lot of people have said Tim Shaw or Tim Shaw... That he was a bad villain and they didn't really like him. I thought he was by far the best villain of series 11. Without a doubt. Uh, I thought his design was cool. And I thought it was pretty intimidating honestly. And he, he was very similar to the Predator. And I thought the whole idea of the whole motif of him. Uh, taking people's teeth out and sticking them on his face. I thought that was kind of gross. And just something you'd expect exactly to come out of this show. Um... I thought he was pretty bad in the Battle of Ranskorav Kolos. I mean, he just kind of turned into Emperor Palpatine or something there. Yeah, and he was pretty bad in that. Um, but hopefully we'll see him again, because he didn't even technically die. Because, um, yeah, I think with a good story, he could be really good. And, yeah, he was he was good in The Woman Who Fell to Earth. He was a good villain for that story. Um, 
However, the other Chibnall villains in Series 11, I can't remember much about them. I remember that guy who looked a bit like Freddy Krueger from It Takes You Away. Um, remember, was he called Kazkos or Krav, Kravko? Kazkos? I don't know. The guy from Rosa, the racist fella who sent people back in time. And then the weird, like, cloth creature Stenza people things from the Ghost Monument. And the androids, actually, from uh, Kablam. But none of these villains were particularly threatening or memorable, honestly. Like, the most threatening of these villains would probably be... Uh... Mm, you know what, maybe the witches from the Witchfinders, they will they were kind of intimidating, I suppose. Um, I don't know. <laughs> None of them are, really. Aside Tim Shaw, in my opinion. Um, so when only one villain in one episode of your ten-episode series, I think it was ten episodes, is actually intimidating to me, you're doing something a bit wrong, honestly. Like, every villain in Russell's era I found intimidating somewhere or another. Like, even the Absorbaloff is kind of scary in in terms of ideas, when you actually think about it. Yeah, like, yeah, there's a silly idea and stuff, but when you actually think about it, a, a big green blob that looks like Peter K going around and sucking you into its body, that's a really disturbing and creepy idea. And, yeah, it could have been done better, but all the same. Um... In series 12, I think the villains got a bit stronger, but not much, and it's probably only due to the fact that they were able to use classic villains in that, like the Cybermen, who I thought were quite underwhelming. In fact, the lonely Cyberman from Haunting of Villa Diodati, he was great. Um, but the Cybermen army, they were just a bit forgettable, honestly. I think the redesign's good, though. Um, hmm... The Master. You know what? The Master is the best villain of Chibnall's era. But I can't really credit Chibnall for that, can I? I can credit Sasha Dewan for that, for his amazing performance. Uh, Sasha Dewan plays a very good Master, in fact. I mean, yeah, he wasn't in it a ton. I hope we see more of him, but... Um, he plays a very John Sim-esque Master, but he, he kind of has his own twist on it, so I think, I think he's great. Um, he's one of my favourite Masters, honestly. So, that's, that's saying a lot. Um, yeah. The one plays it great. Uh, the Jadoon, the Jadoon came back, but they weren't really relevant to the story they were in. I know they were really hyped about being brought back and stuff, but when you really think about it, what did they actually do in that episode? And then, of course, there's Captain Jack. I was, like, when, when he actually came back, that was, like, the me best moment in Whitaker's era for me so far. Once again, I can only really credit that to John Barrowman and just John Barrowman being a saint to Doctor Who as a show. Then give Chibnall credit. Kind of like, um, I had tears in my eyes when he came back and stuff because I didn't expect it. But when I heard his voice and stuff, that was a really nice way of setting it up. Like so that older fans could recognize the voice. But the only problem I have with that whole scene is the fact that new fans won't know who this guy is. I know that's kind of hard to, like, do over a bit, if you know what I mean. Like, how else are they supposed to set up that scene? But I'm just trying to put myself in the perspective of a fan who's never actually seen the show before. Um, and they're just watching that story, and they've seen a few other ones... They'll they'll see this guy and have the dramatic music and stuff, and they'll be like, eh, what, what's all the bigging, bigging up for this guy? Like, yeah, it might uh, get them to watch older stories, but, you know, it'll just make them confused. And that's partly why I think that the only reason they brought Barrowman back and all these returning characters and villains is because they're trying to appeal to the hearts of us. And when I say us, I mean the older fans, because they saw the poor reception of Series 11, and they thought that the only reason that was poor was because of the lack of classic villains. And well, you know what? I will say that the classic villains are done a lot better. The classic villain stories are much more enjoyable. Um, however, you know, they're not Chibnall's characters. So once again, you can't really credit him for that. 
yeah, sure, maybe the twists and the way he writes them isn't terrible, but all the same, you can't credit Chibnall for the creation of the Daleks or for the creation of the Master or the Jadoon or the Cybermen uh, or Captain Jack. And even then, Captain Jack, when he was in Revolution of the Daleks, it, it was very predictable, his role in that, when it was obvious that he was going to be in the same prison cell. Um, and his role in that was so disappointing. He was just kind of there, honestly. He didn't really have any of his cheeky moments or his, you know, just his normal John Barrowman-ness moments of humour. Um, it, it, it just came off as there, which is insulting to that amazing character. Captain Jack is probably my third favourite companion ever. So to see him get reduced down like that was so disappointing. Because I was expecting a lot more. Um, and also his exit as well. It feels like... like If that's the last time we ever see him in the show. Which, you know what, given the way that the BBC aren't happy with him at the minute. May very well be. If that was his last scene. Then I'm done with the show. Because... Ridiculous. You know, very unsatisfying and stupid. Um, and yeah, might as well talk about Revolution of the Daleks as that's the latest episode. Uh, I watched it with my dad, actually. Um, and, well, I, I watched all of them with my dad. And I think we were both very disappointed. It didn't go as good as it really could have been. And the Daleks just felt like they were there because why not? I think as well, as I've said, that the way the episode went was very predictable. It was of, like, I knew way before Revolution of the Daleks came out that the Daleks would be coming back um, for um, something to do with the one from Revolution, the spy Dalek. I mean, in all fairness, I didn't think it'd go down the way it did. I thought that the one from Revolution would. Uh, send out a signal or would have got that signal sent out to the other Daleks but um, yeah in actual fact it was just that uh, the humans had created fake Daleks as they're called um, but yeah still the the Dalek Civil War thing was very underwhelming unfortunately I thought it was really cool to see but at the same time, it was just very boring, you know, it was just them shooting each other and on a bridge, on a bridge as well. Like, it wasn't a whole massive war, it was just a few of them. Um, and it was very obvious that the classic Daleks would be the new ones, like, there was no competition. Um, yeah, Revolution of the Daleks was very, very kind of bad, really, uh, which was unfortunate, because I thought... You know, Revolution is probably my favourite Whitaker story, or at least, like, one of my favourites. And I've realised that my favourite Whitaker stories are usually the ones with returning characters. Uh, however, this one, Revolution of the Daleks, the reason it's... Uh, reason I didn't like it was, ironically, due to the returning characters, because I thought they were handled horribly. The Daleks, I just thought they were, like, there... And same with Captain Jack. It just felt like they were only there to appeal to the older fans. The way that the Daleks were killed off in that story as well was very deus ex... Well, not deus ex machina, just very cliche. Um, like it wasn't creative in any way. We'd seen it all before. Um, yeah, so I was disappointed with that. Um, yeah, I think I've spoken enough about the problems with the series itself um i mean i didn't really talk about the problems with the individual stories but that would take ages if i was going to do that um so i'm not going to do that and i suppose my problems with the doctor and the companions and with all the villains that i've mentioned that covers a large majority of each story anyway um what i will say is that i do think there were some characters in standalone stories that were very good. Like, I do love King James' first play by Alan Cumming. I thought he was great. And, um... I liked Nikola Tesla as well. Um... I thought he was a very good character. But, 
you know, they're only standalone characters. We're not going to see them again. So now that we talked about this, this two seasons we've got with Whitaker's Doctor so far, how about her next one? Well, what what do we know so far? Well, we know that the Sontarans are coming back. We know that potentially the Weeping Angels are coming back. We know that there's going to be a new companion played by John Bishop. And we've seen a few leaked images of redesigns and new designs for monsters. Uh, apparently there's going to be a Halloween-themed episode for the first time. And uh, I think there's one where they're on a beach or something. But we don't know an absolute ton. Um, I have heard that apparently each story is going to have a cliffhanger at the end and they're going to be connected in some way or another. Um, and that's all I know, unfortunately. The only trailer we got for it wasn't even really a trailer. It was more of a teaser trailer and it came out one month ago, was it? Two months ago now, I think. Almost two months ago. Um... We didn't really give as much info or insight on anything. It was pretty bad, honestly. And the series is... The season's supposed to air, isn't it? In, like, a few weeks. So, um, you know, hurry up with that next trailer. Or, you know, a proper trailer. Like, there's no point in keeping the Sontarans a secret at this point. We all know they're in it. We've seen the leaked images. Um, But... I think the main question that everyone wants me to answer is, will it be better than Series 11 and 12? Well, what I will say is that Series 12 was definitely better than Series 11, in my opinion. Not, It wasn't great. It wasn't even really good a lot of the time. But it had more ambitious ideas, even if the payoff was bad. Um, had returning characters. And added a few more dimensions to other characters even if once again it didn't pay off so well um so series 13 well if we've got returning if we've got the Sontarans back then i think we're in for at least one decent story hopefully hopefully they won't ruin the Sontarans. um so i think i think i'll safely say that series 13 will be better than series 11 will it be better than series 12 it just depends on how they handle the ideas. If they're going for something quite simple, I think it will be better than Series 12. If they're going for something very ambitious, it just completely depends on whatever that is. Um, I suppose as well, John Bishop uh, playing this Stan character, I think he'll be a good character. I mean, comic relief, he'll be like Graham, and hopefully they'll write him better than Graham. Hopefully it'll be more memorable, you know. Um, and yeah, um, Whitaker will be getting five specials in 2022, I hear. And then she'll regenerate. Is it five specials, I think? Or maybe three? I don't know. Um, and of course that covers the 60th anniversary of the show. Uh, so I'll be looking forward to seeing what they do for that. But yeah, I, in summary, I just hope that they bring up this Series 13 trailer sometime. Uh, I hear that apparently there's going to be like a trailer tomorrow from some people, but, you know, that's just a rumour. I don't know. And I really hope it's true, though, because we need to see it, you know, at some point. Anyway, so how can these issues be fixed? Everything I've just mentioned, how can it all be fixed? Well... I mean, the answer is really quite simple, or at least the answer itself is simple, but actually doing it, you know, might take effort. So, just write more about the characters. Focus more on the characters than the story. The reason Russell T. Davis's era of Doctor Who was so popular was because he focused more on the characters and the way the characters act than the story, the story itself. Um, a lot of classic Who was not as popular um, because it was the opposite of that. It focused heavily on the story and the villain, but not a lot on the characters and the companions that were grown to love. 
of course, like classic who made up for that would be memorable and having great actors and stuff. Whereas Jodie Whittaker is only a decent actor and same for Tosin and Mandip and Bradley. They're, they're only average at acting. Um, but yeah, Russell's era of the show was so popular because he was very character orientated and more so than the stories and that's why his era of the show worked so well and it was such a good revival because it was the same of what we become accustomed to with the classic era but it went deeper then Moffat's era of the show arguably ironically like suffered from that reason it was too character orientated it focused way too much on important characters to care about the narrative. Like a good example of this is Hellbent or uh, the Wedding of River Song. Uh, you know they they suffer from being way too character orientated to fit into the narrative too well. So you just need to get some kind of a balance, and Russell T Davis matched that perfectly. Moffat tipped too far into the character's end of things, but hey, at least he had memorable villains. Once again, he had great actors playing his villains, and the villains themselves had memorable designs, and he had doctors who could carry bad stories. Like, I know I said this at the start, Whitaker doesn't play herself, so she's not entertaining in the same way that Smith or Capaldi are. Smith and Capaldi are great at carrying boring or bad stories, because their personalities make up for it. Because if you like Peter Capaldi's Doctor, then you will like him even in his bad stories, because he's there, because his presence is enough to make it watchable. Uh, I mean, I can re-watch some of the most boring episodes in the show, like In the Forest of the Night, because I think Capaldi's great in it. I've not re-watched a single Whitaker episode, because she can't carry it the same way that Smith and Capaldi can. So how do you fix Whitaker's Doctor into being like that? How can you do that? Just let Whitaker be herself. I mean, obviously I can't really say much here. Because I don't know what she's like in real life. But whatever she's like, even if she's too serious for the role. You know, give her serious parts. Or at least give her more moments of seriousness. And it'll work wonders for her character. And don't, don't you dare... Give her moments of seriousness that don't pay off. If she has a go at Yaz at one point or whatever, have that pay off or it's not realistic. The reason that characters like Rose Tyler or Donna Noble or, or Martha Jones, the reasons they were so popular is because the companion you're supposed to put your, yourself into the shoes of. Part of the charm of the show is that you can empathise with the companion so it makes it feel like you're one of them and that you could one day be in the TARDIS with the Doctor. It's that idea of uh, escapism, isn't it? Um, and Like, for example, the whole point of Rose Tyler's character was that she fell in love with another man, I suppose you could say, and we've all been there at one point. Uh, with Martha Jones, the whole point of her character was jealousy and feeling like a rebound, which we've all been there. Donna Noble... The whole point of her character was that she was the best friend that everyone thinks is dating her best friend. And we've all been there. I've, at one point in my life, heard like one of those stories. And in fact, I had a friend in year seven uh, a few years back. Because I'm in year 11 now. But in year seven, I made a friend. She was called Amelia. And at the time, everyone in the year thought that we were dating. Just because I was a boy and she was a girl. And that happens to the Doctor and Donna all the time. There's points where they go, uh, like where some characters will go, um, oh, are you engaged? Or, oh, are you married? And they'll go, oh, no, 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 we're not married. And that was a running joke. And it's relatable. It's relatable humour. Tell me how you can relate to Yasmin Khan. Like, Yasmin Khan was obviously the one they were trying to make relatable. But the whole point of her motif was that she wanted more out of life and you know what yeah we all have that kind of feeling but they never gave that emotional payoff did they i mean she did get more out of life but did they did they did they ever satisfy that did they ever have like a moment where she was satisfied with herself no 
But they did have those payoffs for characters like Martha Jones. You know, like when Martha left the Doctor, when she explained why she left, because she felt like a rebound. That was her payoff. Donna, when she forgot absolutely everything and her arc was basically rewritten. That was her payoff. And for Rose, yeah, I know they kind of messed up her arc by having to come back later on. But, you know, if you put that aside, she had her emotional payoff as well. All those characters had emotional payoffs, as did Amy Pond. Like, Amy Pond, the whole thing with her was that uh, Rory was jealous of the Doctor because she seemed to lean more to the Doctor than to him. But at the end of her arc, she picked Rory over the Doctor, which is a great reflection of her character. And then Clara Oswald, like... Yeah, maybe she was too problematic and too confusing. But Jenna Coleman gave a great performance. And you know what? In Capaldi's era, she was great as well. And she was relatable as being the important person in your life. You know, the one who's helped you through a bunch of stuff. And that they're only there because of it. Because of your history with them. And that you've actually turned to be kind of toxic with them. If you know what I mean. We've all been there. All these companions you can relate to. And you know what, Bill Potts as well. Bill Potts is just the the student. She's like that dumb friend you have that um, you love and she wants to know more and uh, she feels like a student to you. Yeah, all of those companions are relatable in one way or another. Even the side companions like Mickey Smith or Jackie Tyler really relatable and really memorable can't say the same for Yasmin Khan you can't say the same for Ryan Sinclair and you you can't say the same for Graham O'Brien that's the problem they're not memorable enough um so yeah the the way to fix the companions just make them relatable and give them the payoffs that they need and empathize with them right you know what I'm going to address one more problem with Whitaker's Doctor, but this is more story orientated than anything else. But this one really kind of hurts, and it's that all of her stories are way too political. Way too political. And, right, I know that some people are going to argue to me and say Doctor Who has always been political, but we'll get to that in a moment, because it has been, but we'll get to that in a sec, right? None of Classic Who is uh, political, actually, there, I'll just put that out, <laughs> or at least very rarely was political, and when they did it was usually parodying politics. Um, Jodie's Doctor, however, they're always trying to put out environmental messages, right? The reason I say this hurts, it might sound overdramatic and stuff, it's not, it's because Doctor Who, I love Doctor Who so much because it's a form of escapism for me. It's a form of getting away from the horrors of the planet. And that's part of the charm. That's part of why everyone loves it so much. Because it's a way of forgetting about the problems with the planet at the minute. Whereas Doctor Who, in fact, right now, the past two seasons, instead, beats you over the head with these political messages... That you're either bored of hearing, sad of hearing, worried about hearing, or just don't want to hear at all. Like, I don't want to see Doctor Who become too realistic, but it has done in a weird way. Because, yeah, it's not realistic, but the messages are. And they don't need to be. You know, like, the messages should be more personality-focused than environmentally-focused. I mean... All from 55, that was about trying to change the way the human race is going to end up being. And was it called... Oh, wait, no. Yeah, and then Praxius, that's about plastic in the ocean, stuff like that. We don't need it. We're trying to get away from that stuff. That's why we're watching the damn show. You know, Rosa, and while Rosa was a great story, and you know what, I might give a, a pass on how great it was for this, but... Uh, it was racially focused. We want to get away with. We want to get away from things like Black Lives Matter and, you know, the horrors of everything going on and the protests and the riots. We don't want to see it, more of it. You know, like of course Black Lives Matter is great and I stand for it and everything, but 
we sh we have the news for that. Doctor Who's escapism, not political. Someone will say, how about Aliens of London and World War Three? The Slytherin two-parter, what about that? Well, <laughs> that was laughing at politics. And it was clearly laughing at politics. I mean, the politicians in that were literally aliens, weren't they? And the whole joke is that the fact that they fart all the time is that they're all bloated gas bags. Like, it's saying that they're pretty horrible people. And that's amazing, because that's parodying the horrors of the world. It's a bit like Little Britain, in a way. Not, I mean, it's nothing like Little Britain, but what I'm saying is, Little Britain, what it does is it doesn't portray things that happen in the world seriously. It, well, or in Britain, seriously. What it instead does is it parodies those things and finds the humour out of them. Whitaker's Doctor is too serious with the things that happens. It doesn't parody them in any way, shape or form. Instead, what it does is it just comments on them. Whereas every other political episode of the show has parodied the politics and the bad stuff of the planet. Like, you can't say that World War Three and Aliens of London was a serious story, can you? That's the point I'm trying to make. And that's another, that's another way I can lead into the point of don't make the episodes political it's not that hard and if you really have to just make fun out of the political message don't make it serious doctor who never been really that serious even when even with serious like eccleston's doctor is arguably the most serious one and that aliens of london and world war three was his story you know it just doesn't work when you have uh someone like whitaker in such a serious story well, even then, I don't even know if Eccleston would work in uh, something like Praxius or Orphan 55. It'd make it more entertaining because it's him, but still. Yeah, so... <sighs> Doctor Who, how can we fix it? Just get a better writing team, honestly. Just get a team that can balance out story with character. Get better villain designs, have an actor play the Doctor who has a great personality, uh, quirky personality-ish, uh, but can actually act at the same time. Someone like David Tennant or Matt Smith, but not like David Tennant or Matt Smith. Give them defining features and just make, make the show good, make it memorable. And you know what? Yeah, you don't even have to make it good to make it enjoyable. Because that's the thing, Whitaker's Doctor's not even bad, she's just boring. And that's worse than bad, because even when Doctor Who's bad, it's still enjoyable, isn't it? Like, a lot of Moffat's era can be considered bad, and a lot of Russell's stories are pretty bad. But they're still heavily enjoyable, and that's... you can't argue with that. And it's because Matt Smith, David Tennant, and whichever companion they have at that moment can carry a bad episode. Anyway, yeah, so I suppose that about wraps it up. I know this was very, very long, but there's a lot to talk about, I suppose. Uh, yeah, um, I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this as well, actually. I do want to hear a lot of opinions on how to make the show better, because obviously I didn't go as deeply into that as I could have done. I was more talking about the problems with the show at the moment. Um However, yeah, I would like to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, I would like to hear if you have any arguments towards any of these. Like, if you disagree with me, maybe I can learn a new perspective and maybe appreciate your opinion on why it might be better than I think it is. Anyway, yeah, uh, so thank you very much for listening. Have a lovely evening, have a lovely morning, afternoon, whatever the time of the day is that you're listening, if you are listening. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. See you later.